We just want to thank you for giving us the opportunity to share our hearts. And as we share the details of our life, uh, that's one thing. But what we really want you to hear is this is God's story. And this is God's story and his presence in our life. Even though he is always with us, we weren't necessarily with him throughout it. So, Well, um, guys, I I sit before you, and I think it's ironic that I'm sitting before you right after Halloween because I was probably the queen of masks. Um, It was really important to me uh, at that point that I look good, that that I was accepted by the community, by the church. Um, I tried really hard for most of my life to meet the expectations of others, and so it was... And, and not the expectations of, of God our Father. You know, I want you to know that, that much of my goal for so long was to meet other people's expectations. And I really wasn't placing um, what I knew God wanted for me, what I knew God needed for me to do. That was kind of in the backside of, of, of my life story. So I, I tell you that this process of coming before you to do this you know, it's tough for the last month or so as we prepared to do this. There were a lot of scabs. We had to scrape off some wounds. Um, and it also allowed some time for the enemy to come in and kind of give me some doubt as to whether I was uh, worthy enough to do this. Because, again, so much time and feeling of not being worthy enough. Um, I grew up with some weight issues, so I still had that as part of my baggage of the past. Um, I grew up in a great home. My, my mom's here today. She won't want me to tell you how old she is. She's young, young, young. Um, but she um, and my dad, great people. But I did grow up with the baggage of the fact that both of them had been married before, and I was the only child between the two of them. Um, so there was some of that back there as well. So as I told you, some, some parts of my past entered into, as we prepared to do this, um, I thought, after hearing Jeff and Jamie's story a few uh, weeks ago, I thought, Lord, I, I didn't lose a child. My, my story is a lot of the things that I did, the sin that I did, and, and the consequences of some of those decisions. And I'm, I'm not worthy. I didn't lose a child like they did. And so I had to remember that my Abba Father says, like the, the cross says, my story matters. I also, as Tim said, I, I'm the provider for many people in this church. And I, I started to think, Lord, I can't tell them all my junk. They're not going to ever want to come see me. Um, They're going to think, man, that girl has got so much stuff. We don't know if we can go trust her. So it's been an incredible journey, and I'm honored that that God reminded me so many times through the struggles of the last um, few weeks that that he loves me and that he's here with me. And as we tell the story, I'm going to remember that. You know, one of the questions we asked ourselves, especially last night, was why would we do this? You know, after you go through all this, why would we do this? And, and really, we came to one conclusion, and that is because we are so grateful to God for what he has done for us, for what he's brought us through. Um, I am so grateful for Sandy and my life. Uh, it's, it's just been the most amazing thing, and only God can do those kind of things. Only God can make something out of what we're about to share with you. So... Um, Every story kind of has a theme, and, and, and so I had, to come, I had to think of this theme. And I'm going to take you back in high school. You probably don't remember this, but there was this thing called the transitive property, okay? If you remember it, the transitive property of equality, and it said this. If A is equal to B and B is equal to C, then A has to be equal to C, right? 
And you go, well, what does that mean about anything, okay? Well, let's kind of insert some meanings into these letters. In our, in our journey, A is pain and suffering. C is peace and joy, which Christ promises us and God promises us. So the B part of this is our willingness to yield to God and to surrender to God. So now it makes sense. If pain and suffering cause us to yield to God and to surrender to him, then that can give us the peace and joy that he has promised us and that we all are seeking in life. So I'm gonna kind of dig in here. Um, both Sandy and I were, were saved at a young age. We were both part of a church, uh, both always went to church. And we knew that, that, we knew that God was there However, we didn't really consult God and we didn't really slow down enough to listen to him because see, we were on our path and our plans and my plan and what I wanted and all of those things that a lot of us do in life is all about us and what we want. And, uh, and when you do that, I can tell you and you're, you're gonna hear through our story that there's a lot of pain and suffering with that. Uh, most of it was caused by our choices, not by circumstances, but our choices. So... I'm gonna kind of dig in uh, and start out uh, in my childhood. My mom's here this morning and, and I love her and, and God gave me the most amazing mother in the world. But at the age of two, uh, my mom was pregnant with my sister and my dad uh, had chosen alcoholism as a way of life. And uh, for safety reasons, she had to leave the home. As my, my sister was born, we had to leave the home. And I can tell you having an, a, a father that abandons you and I didn't see him. I don't remember getting a birthday card. I don't remember anything for until I was 16. I mean, I may have seen him a, a handful of times. And when I would see him, he would, he would cry and tell me he was sorry. And honest, y'all, all that did was make me matter. Because I didn't want to hear that he was sorry. I just wanted him to be there. And he wasn't there. And, and I got to tell you that the way you process that and the way I processed that was I became that person that was going to prove that I wasn't him and that I was good enough, and that he should have been there as a father for me. So that was my driving force throughout everything I did. And so as I went through high school, football became my thing, sports, you know, God gave me a little bit of talent, put me in a small town, and that makes for a lot of fun. And, and, and so I love football. I went on uh, and played in college a little bit. And, and, you know, when you don't have a father and you're seeking that validation, and this is not just for young men, this is for young ladies too, but when you're seeking that validation and you go find it elsewhere, it, it typically doesn't end up well. And so that's what I was doing. I was seeking that validation. I had a wonderful mom. And let me say this, because this is one of the most important things, and I've never told her this, that she did for me, is during all that time, those, those years, not once, not once did she ever say one negative thing about my dad. Okay? And so for you parents that are divorced out there, you need, to, you need to hear that because she allowed me to be able, when he did come back into my life, she allowed me to be able to have a relationship with him because she did that. And that's not a natural, that's a God thing, in my opinion. That's, that's, not, that's not natural. So if you're, if you're in a divorced family and you're out there, please hear that because that makes a huge difference to your children and what you do with it. So as life went on, you know, I, I took that validation of football onto the business world. And for whatever reason, because I was so driven and I was going to prove that I wasn't that alcoholic, I got into the bar business. <sighs> so go figure. I mean, why would you do that? 
because you've got something to prove. And I didn't even realize it at the time. This, this, you know, I, this all comes about as you go through life and you know, you're at least 50 years old, you begin to understand a few things. And so I began to look back and know that I had done all of this for that purpose, and that's the wrong purpose. Okay, God, God doesn't intend us to do anything with those kind of purposes. He wants to be a part of what we're doing. So I became the first franchisee of this business, Fat Tuesday. Many of you may have heard of it. It was way back, but it was all about moving to Texas, building this thing and building this business, and things were great. And, and life, I was successful, and I decided early on that I wasn't going to get married young because I was going to go out and I was going to be successful, and then I'd get married, then I'd have children, you know, just like everybody. I had this whole plan. It was my plan. Well, when I moved to Texas, I ended up getting married because it was time, uh, and right after that, we had a child. Uh, the lady I chose to marry already had a child, so we had an instant family, and things seemed to be going re really well according to my plan, and then in 1996, uh, two things happened. One, we had a miscarriage. And we had named the child Dallas, and it was on Mother's Day. And that was devastating. You know, to, to become attached to something that's not yet there, but you, you picture that, and you can see that child. And so that was devastating for me. And later that year, I was diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, here I am. I, th I thought I had everything in life, and I thought things were going just like I wanted it, and, and God wanted to get my attention, and he did. And he got it in a big way. Um, so a few years go by and, and, and life just seems to be spinning and spinning and spinning and things aren't going well. And, and one day my wife came home and said, I, I don't want to be married anymore. And so I spent the next year doing what most of us would have done. I, I went to marriage counselors. I did everything I could possible. I tried to fix everything, which is what a guy does. But what I realized at the end of that year is you can't force somebody to love you. And if you haven't consulted God on the front side, you're going to have a hard time coming to him later trying to fix it. So hear, hear me there. Fix it on the front side. Make sure God is a part of what you're doing. If you're a young person and you're out there, make sure that God's a part of that. So that, that ended in a divorce, and uh, I had to stay in Texas a few years. Um, but one thing led to another, and because my, my, my ex-wife decided to leave, I was able to come back to Georgia, and uh, I was living with my mom. And... Uh, but the problem was I picked right back up on that, that plan I had. See, I was able to get a job. I kind of got myself back financially. And so I was introduced to this young lady who had two children. She came from a divorce. Uh, her ex-husband was an alcoholic. And, and all I cared about was putting a mom for my daughter and, and putting this thing back together, this plan. And I didn't consult God again. And so even before that marriage, my, my family sat down and counseled me. They said, you really need to think about this. And I said, you need to mind your own business. Okay? I wasn't willing to listen. I was stubborn. And so I entered into that marriage, and this individual turned out to have a personality disorder. It's called borderline personality disorder. And if you've ever been around someone, it's horrible. And so I spent about a year, year and a half, hearing on a regular basis that I was a worthless individual and that I never should have been born. And that there was no reason for me to be here. And I knew better. I really did. I knew better. But let me tell you, when you keep hearing that over and over, you know, it starts to, it starts to sink in. And I began to believe that. I mean, I'd go to work shaking. I, I, I mean, I couldn't exist. And not only that, but during this time, I had a job that made me travel. And I left my daughter there. 
And uh, she was subject to this abuse. And uh, I can remember we were at a family wedding. And, uh, you know, at family weddings, you can do things. And my daughter loved to sing. So she got up and she sang in front of the crowd. And it was great. And I was so proud. And we got in the car. And then this, this individual who had this disorder looked at her and said, don't you ever sing again. That was the most God-awful thing I've ever heard. And as a parent, y'all, I mean, I was heartbroken. I, I didn't know what to do. And, and I was in that place. I had been beat up. So, I, I, you know, I didn't do what I should have done. And I didn't stand up for her. And I, I didn't do any of those things that a dad should do because I wasn't connected to God. I wasn't strong enough to do that. But God was with me. And he led me out of that. And, and we got out of that situation. It wasn't easy, but we got out. And uh, that was probably one of the darkest points in my life is at that point when I had two failed marriages, I was a single dad, and I just didn't know where to turn. But I knew that my way had not worked. And so God, God began to really change me, and I began to yield to God a little bit. Well, in a different place, in a different time, Sandy was having her own struggles. Um, I had le finished my nursing degree in 1984, my first degree, and I thought that the next thing you do is to get married. And uh, just as Dallas mentioned, I wasn't walking with Christ, so I obviously didn't make decisions based on what I thought God would want me to do. So I got involved with the first person that seemed to, in the world's eyes, be successful. And um, though we, we got married, we were very disconnected from the beginning. It was, a, it was not a marriage with love involved in it. Um, and, and that marriage lasted for nine years, but it was, it was a very um, cold relationship. And my daughter um, felt that abandonment and, and that cold life. And so um, I, I was quickly lured into a relationship with someone who showed me that that was not the way it had to be, that, that he was filled with love for everybody. He loved me. He loved my daughter. Um, a year later, um, after that marriage, uh, the year, a year later, my son was born, and I began the biggest roller coaster of my life um, because, unfortunately, the man I married um, was addicted to prescription drugs, and he uh, used alcohol very heavily, things I didn't know because I, I wasn't still enough, and I didn't listen to God uh, or seek Him during that time. Um, I, I, I can't tell you that all those times were bad. It was a 12-year marriage. But it was the biggest, most incredible roller coaster you could have ever been on because the highs were good, the lows were bad. And my children um, were exposed to a man who asked them to lie about where he was, asked them to lie about what he was doing so that I wouldn't be upset about it. So I would be home with them Monday through Friday and be the mom that I thought I needed to be, go to the school parties and be on every field trip trying to do the be the person that I thought that I was supposed to be as their mom. And then on the weekends, I would go away to work, and um, that's when the cup of orange juice would be filled with vodka added to it, and they would be promised, um, they would be told that they had to promise not to tell me what happened. And not only did they endure that kind of abuse, um, there, as I found out later, there was also sexual abuse. So... Um, I just want you to know, I, I would have never ended that marriage because I didn't want to be a failure again in the world's eyes. I, I wanted that marriage to work no matter what, I ha what kind of mask I had to wear. And, and I was wearing one. If you had seen me during that time, 
Um, I, my kids went to private school. We drove the right car. We were a member of the country club. We, were, we, we looked okay, and, and you would have thought we were okay, but we weren't. Um, we were dealing with all of those challenges and all of those things that those of you that have dealt with uh, addiction know what I'm talking about. So he did, uh, sir, he, um, and fortunately or unfortunately at that time, found a beautiful blonde that lured him away from the family. And so none of uh, the rest of that story matters because um, he walked away and I was left. Um, my daughter Megan was in college at that time. But Hunter and I were home alone. And while I was praying one night, I was like, Lord, I don't want to be here by myself. And Hunter, the wise, toe-headed 12-year-old, said, Mom, wouldn't you rather be here by ourselves than live in a lie? God gave him so many wonderful pieces of, of God's Word during that time. He even thought that we were going to develop sores like Job since we were going through such big challenges, that the sores were going to pop out any, any minute. Um, but God just allowed him to bring that, that, those words to me as the grieving mom who was kind of trying to figure out what I was going to do now. Um, and he brought beauty from ashes. God brought beauty from ashes during that time. And that became a theme for us as the story unfolded. So at this point, we both had two marriages, and we're scared to death of, of the opposite sex. Uh, we... we <laughs> We just really, you know, I mean, it's just like, no, no, no. Um, but we, we had this friend who kept saying, you know, you need to meet this person. And, and I was like, no. And Sandy was the same way. So after a few months of, of her just on and on and on, we finally said, look, we, we'll meet each other just, just to shut her up. So, so we show up and uh, you got to know that on this blind date, Sandy brings her own car. So if she needs to leave, she can because she doesn't like me. And I show up in a 1993 Cadillac that I'd bought from my dad to make sure that, you know, she, she knew I wasn't trying to impress her because I, I wanted to push her away. And, uh, you know, we, we go out on this first date and it was like we took out this largest piece of luggage you'd ever seen and we dumped our baggage on one another. And we told each other everything because we were hoping that, that they would leave and be scared, <laughs> right? And we just, we, but it didn't work. You know, what God put together, let no man put asunder. And so what happened was we were drawn together by these stories, by all the suffering and the pain that we'd had. And, uh, you know, at this point, it, it, was such a, it was such a joy to be around somebody like Sandy. And, and you know, I, I fell in love immediately. And I love to tell the story because as, as we met our second date, now at this time, Sandy worked from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. in the mornings on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And I didn't really understand that, so I invited her out to lunch on a Sunday. So that means she'd already had two 12-hour shifts and no sleep, and she said yes. And, you know, I, I didn't know that. So I drove up from Edenton, and, and all I was given is these good southern directions about, you know, go up Highway 11, you turn left on Crystal Road, and it'll be the first driveway after the baseball field. So that's what I did, and I drove up to this nice brick house, and I knocked on the door, and nobody came. And I thought, uh-oh, maybe she changed her mind. I don't know. And uh, so I knocked again a little louder, and I'm thinking, okay. And a few minutes go by, and finally I, I, I'm like, okay, well, I guess she's just not going to go. And I began to walk down the steps, honestly. And I stopped, and I said, you know what? I drove too far. Somebody's going to tell me no. So I turned around and I went back up and there was a rocking chair on the front porch and I sat in the rocking chair and I'm going to sit here. Sooner or later, she's got to come out. 
And all of a sudden I look and here comes this 6'2", distinguished man uh, and this nice, pretty little lady named Miss Flo around the corner. And I didn't even know who it was. And, I, and he looked at me and he goes, can I help you? And I said, yes, sir, I'm, I'm here to have lunch with Sandy. He goes, well, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I said, why not? And he goes, because she doesn't live here. She lives next door. <laughs> so, so that was my introduction to her dad, and, and we became great friends, and, and that's kind of where we were at that point. Um, the next picture, if you can put up the family picture, um, the next thing that happened, obviously, um, we got married um, very quickly, June 30th, 2009, we got married, um, and we really had made that time. We, we knew God had brought us together. We knew that this was just a great new beginning for us, and, and I really, that thing I said to you about beauty from ashes, I knew that that's what God was doing with this story. He was turning this horrific thing that, had, that again, was so much about our own choices when we weren't living for God, um, but we brought our family together, Sunrise, Tybee Island, we made three teenagers get up at, the, at sunrise. Um, they look, they're smiling there. They didn't smile a lot when they told, we told them about that. But um, I, I want you guys, because, you know, again, we were looking good. Um, I, I teasingly call this the fake book picture because we can be and say anything we want to about our families. Uh, but we combined at that point a 13-year-old boy, a 15-year-old girl, and a 17-year-old girl together. And we were so excited because we really wanted to show these three kids what a family was supposed to look like because they hadn't seen that before. We wanted them to see what, um, what a family that had God at the forefront of the family was going to look like. So, so we were excited about that. But a year later, something else happened. Um, we got a phone call. My daughter, who was uh, in her second year of college, got a DUI. And her alcohol level was so high that the judge required her to go into um, a program that would last uh, two months. And then she was placed on probation. We didn't, we didn't really think a whole lot of this process. We thought this was just kind of a teenage thing and she'd made a, deci a bad decision. It, it would be okay. Um, but unfortunately, months after that, uh, she failed a drug screen and left our home. So for months after that, uh, we didn't know where she was. We didn't know if she was alive or dead. Um, very concerned about her. Um, and if that couldn't be bad enough, uh, my son, who was 15 at the time, also began to experiment with drugs and alcohol. He'd had a wonderful example of how to do that, and um, both from his dad and then from Megan. He, he knew about uh, those substances and unfortunately began to use drugs and alcohol. And it was a very, very difficult time for our family. We, were, we felt like investigative reporters. We were walking around all the time trying to figure out what our kids were doing. Um, we, were, we were crying out to God to, to help us through this process, but we were just grieving because we'd already been down this path and it was getting worse. Um, one night we had a bunch of kids over, a bunch of young boys over, and we found that they'd been drinking. And even one of, of, of Hunter's peers said, Miss Sandy, we all were drinking, but Hunter didn't know when to stop. And it was through those times that we knew things were pretty serious. Um, we got some threats about things that were going on with him at school. And so we moved schools. We thought, we'll get him into a different environment. Things will be okay. And unfortunately, he was arrested for possession of uh, marijuana at the second school. And through the uh, assistance of great counselors like Chet Fowler, 
Um, we, we sent him through uh, boot camp. You name the program, we were searching for it. Um, but we found, about, found out about a program called Teen Challenge, and in October, um, we took Hunter to Teen Challenge for a 15-month program. Moms, uh, you can't imagine how hard that was. Um, I had always wanted to be that mom. I wanted to be the mom to my kids that I had always wanted to be, and that did not include dropping your precious son for 15 months for somebody else to take care of because he was still my baby. Um, so we took him to that program with the hope and the prayer that they could help us get through this time. Well, and, and let me say as a, as a husband, you know, it, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a lot of fun to watch your wife, you know, have to do this and to be a part of this. And, and I wasn't the dad. I was the stepdad. And so it made it even tougher for me. But um, I'm, I'm going to share something. It's not on our list. And Hunter's here this morning. I'm going to share it because there was one day when Hunter and I had gotten into this, this incredible argument that happens when you have these things going on. And, and I had backed him in a corner. And I, and I was face to face with him. And, and that's when God said to me, you know, and, and we were about to go at it. And I looked at him and I said, you know what? I'm not going to go anywhere. I'm going to be here for you. I'm not going to leave you like your dad did. I'm going to be right here no matter what. And guys, I got to tell you, that was not my words. Those were God's words. And, and I, I knew at that point what was happening. And so, so we got through that. We, we, we took Hunter down. And we came back, and, and we thought we could breathe a little bit. Well, that was October. In November of that year, um, I, my daughter was a senior in high school, and um, we found out early right before Christmas that she was uh, pregnant and going to have our first grandchild in March. So the little breather that we thought we might have, we didn't have. And, uh, you know, I was devastated, and, and I got to be honest, you know, still at that point I was thinking, all about me instead of thinking about her and what this would mean to her. And um, I, was, I spoke to a family member and he said, Dallas, he said, all I can tell you is that this child will be like medicine to your family. And she has been. She's been like medicine. But it was, it was at this time that Sandy and I, uh, we obviously couldn't, we couldn't trust those people in our home. We could trust each other, but the only place we had to go was to God. It was the only place that we felt like we could make a difference because we had already tried everything else. We had tried every program. We had tried everything known to man. And we would just lay there, y'all, in bed, and we would hold hands, and we would cry, and we would pray, God, God help us. We, we can't fix this. We don't know how to fix it. We don't even know what that looks like, Okay. I, I don't have a clue, but God, you can. You can do this, and I trust you, and I believe you can do this. And you know, you say those words at first, and, and, and you get those little doubts in your mind, but the more you say it, the truer it becomes. And then the truer it becomes, the more God shows up every time. And so he showed up in our life in a big way at that point because we, we were struggling. We were struggling so hard. And, and then it hit us one night as we're sitting there and, you know, these choices that our kids had made, they were no different than our choices. God didn't see their sin any different than ours. We had made those same, same mistakes, and, 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 and that's what hurt because we knew the consequences that were coming from those same choices. But 
we also realized that it no longer could we be angry about this or, or any of those things that come with all of that. And believe me, it comes. But the only thing we could really do is what God had done for us, and that was love them. Just, just love them in the only way we knew how and to try to be there for them and support them. And so that's, that's what we did. We began to just love them um, in, in, you know, in the same way God loved us, non-judgmental, and, and just try to support them in anything that we could. And Dallas is right. You know, probably the biggest struggle I had at that point was I thought, Sandy, you, you have to be. The one thing you wanted to be was a good mom, and you absolutely have to be the worst mom out there. For these kind of things to be happening, you couldn't have done anything right. So the enemy was all over me, but God was there through that struggle. And, and we were very well aware that we couldn't do any of this had it not been for that renewed foundation and that desire um, to, be, to walk with God through this these trials and tribulations. And I also want you to know life was happening. My dad, I was a daddy's girl. My dad died during this time. Um, and, and my dad had been that father figure to both of my children, the solid father figure, and he was gone. Um, Dallas had cancer twice during the, this time. Um, so we had lots of challenges that came up. But now I want you to know what happened after that because there's a beautiful story at the end of all this chaos. I want you to know that um, we do have a beautiful granddaughter, Aubrey. Oh, my gosh, she's so much fun. Um, and Megan, right here in this sanctuary, um, about a month and a half ago now, she realized the depth of despair that alcoholism and drug addiction had brought into her life, and she absolutely decided that day that things had to be different, and she completed a program for drug addiction in San Antonio, Texas, and is now in a safe house in um, would ask that you continue to pray during that journey, but we're so blessed by what God is doing in her life. Hunter, has um, he finished that Teen Challenge program. Um, he has uh, had some bumps in the road after that, but I'll tell you what an amazing man God has brought him up to be. I'm so proud um, that I can tell you that he is drug-free and that he has a great job, he's got a great girlfriend, and we are excited that he's planning on finishing that college education, and um, so excited about what the future holds for him. Morgan, um, she's singing now. Uh, guys, she's actually got a singing gig and is about to be paid, so um, that's a beautiful redemption story. But she finished, a, finished an associate degree and um, has been working really, really hard. So, um, it's been a neat, neat time to see those changes and to see what could be brought about from those um, tragic times. Yeah, and, you know, we didn't really talk about this, but there were lots of opportunities for Sandy and I to turn on one another during this time frame, to blame one another, to, to be angry at one another. And, and I just got to tell you that when I said God put us together, he did, because not once, not once did we do that. In fact, what we did was we dug into the other person's pain and suffering. She dug into mine and I dug into hers. And so we were able to lift one another up. We were able to elevate one another. And we were able to just love on each other like God loves on us. And, and I promise you that is the only thing, the only thing that got us through this. Because it, one of these things, one of these things could have caused us to separate. But you put all of them together and you know what? We didn't have a chance. But with God, anything is possible.
And that's, that's what this story is about. It's about the restoration of our lives. And today, um, I have a wonderful family, but I have the most incredible wife that, that a man could ever ask for. And for the first time in my life, and, and I hope you wives are listening because she is so uh, real with me. And she lifts me up and she makes me feel like the man that God created me to be. And that's, that's so powerful in our lives. And we can step up and we can do things that we would never be able to do before. And we're doing those things in this church now. Um, so just keep that in mind if you're a married couple and you're looking that, that don't focus on one another. Focus on God and he'll bring you together somehow, some way, even when it doesn't seem possible. He'll, he'll, make, a, he'll make a way for you. So we kind of want to wrap this up in the same way that we started. I said the theme of our story was this transitive property and pain and suffering caused us to yield. Now, not, not necessarily surrender because I want to make sure I clarify that because at first it was just slowing down like the sign says to see maybe if God had something a little better in store for us and that's how it worked. And when, as we learned to yield and the confidence came that, hey, God will take care of this, God will do this, He'll fix these kids. He'll fix everything. Okay, then we really, as we came to the cross, we, we learned to surrender. Because if, if a little bit of yielding gave us that, we want what comes with God. And that's, that's what we have now. And um, during all this, we had, we had gone to a Bible study. And uh, I didn't tell Sandy I was going to do this, so we're kind of backing up. But we were at this Bible study, and all this was going on, and I just shared it all at once. Okay, and, and I had never done that, and I know she was about to flip out, and I'm thinking, okay, I just shared all our junk with these people, and you know what? They still liked us, <laughs> and it was amazing. Like, okay, we, we, you can actually be transparent. So I, what I would tell you is learn to be transparent because that gives people an opportunity to love you. Not being transparent makes it really hard to love somebody, but when they're real and they, they share their life with you, it's a, great, it's a great thing, and God, God can be present in that. He can bring that together, and he can work that in ways that you never imagined. So as we went through this Bible study, there was this, this quote from Max Licato that we would read together at night, and we want to read it to you now. You'll, You'll get, get through this. this. It won't be painless. It won't be quick, but God will use this mess for good. In the meantime... Don't be foolish or naive, but don't despair either. With God's help, you'll get through this. Amen. Outstanding. Amen. That was outstanding, Dallas. Sandy, thank you again for sharing. You know, I want to talk to you just for a few moments about struggling to trust God. You know, as we've hung out with each other over the last years, I know for Dallas and Sandy, it was a struggle. What does it look like to trust God? What does it look like to trust another human being? What does it really even look like to trust myself? Anybody ever been there? And, and, and reality is, uh, trust takes time to develop, but only takes a few moments to destroy. And all of us have walked in here today having some wounds of rejection, betrayal, neglect happen in our journey. And so we, we go, you know what? I've been hurt. And, and, and it is so hard to trust another individual, humanly speaking, 
And it seems almost impossible at times for us to trust God. At least you're visible. At least you're touchable. How do I trust this God that's invisible that I hardly can recognize? We know the scripture talks about the invisible attributes of God are made known. But how do I, how do I trust that God? Jesus comes on the scene and says, my peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And we hear statements like that going, peace. Well, what does your peace look like? Because for so many of us, we're flooded with guilt and shame and pain and rejection. And we've done things that we go, how could a loving God even care about me, much less pursue me, much less want a relationship with me? And so I think each and every one of us, if we got gut level honest, we struggle with doubt sometimes. We struggle with fear sometimes. We struggle with our own old narrative at times. Look at where I was, what I did, how I jacked it up. Does God really care? And we would say your story matters. And we would say your story matters to us, but your story matters to God. So how do I trust God? How do I learn to depend on Jesus to be enough? How do I press into him? I want to give you three simple thoughts, and I want to wrap up our time. How do I really trust God? If you're a believer, and you come in here, let me say, let me say, let me say loud and clear, one of the greatest ways that you can learn to really trust God is to saturate your mind with the Word of God. There is no shortcuts. You've got to ask yourself the question, what do I ponder? What do I think about? What do I entertain? What do I empower in my thought process? And each and every one of us think about something. We're either empowering lies from hell or we're empowering truth of God. And so for so many people, they live in stable misery and defeat because they don't empower truth. They don't empower what God has to say. I'm going to give you three simple passages as I jog through this today. Ephesians chapter 6 is so crucial. Ephesians 6, Paul is laying it out to the believers in Ephesus of who they are in Christ and how they're to walk now as new believers in Christ. And we get to verse 10 as he kind of wraps up this chapter and he says, Finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. How, How do I get strong in God? Where am I finding my strength? What do I empower as being my strength? I mean, Dallas talked about, you know, coming from more of an athletic mindset. He went to Georgia Tech, and I know he played some football and did some things. And where, where, where do you find your strength? For many of us, for years, our strength was found in our athletics. I mean, Sandy talked about going and uh, finishing nursing school in 1984. And for some people, it's their academics. It's their degree. It's their, uh, it's whatever their profession is. And you have to look going, What am I strong in? Where do I really find strength? I want to break this down. Saturating your mind with the Word of God. Paul says, put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand against the schemes and the attacks and whatever the enemy is bringing your way. Put on the full armor of God. He's going to break it down. He says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and against these dark forces. You're going to fight every day. You're in a struggle every day. The enemy is wanting to rip you off every day. He's wanting to take you down and take you out every day. And Paul's like, you got to put the armor on. You got to be ready. Take up the full armor so that you can resist the enemy and all that evil stuff that comes your way. Put Put it on, put it on, put it on. It's a choice. 
And then he says, uh, gird your loins in truth. Listen to me, gird your loins in truth. Put on the full armor. First thing mentioned is girding your loins. Where do most people shipwreck? They don't allow truth to gird their loins, to drive their loins. So many guys and gals alike, you shipwreck because you don't put truth in that private area and you prostitute yourself to certain things and before you know it, all this twisted stuff can happen. And, and I'm reading through this going, it is amazing on putting on the armor that the first thing he emphasizes is make sure you take truth to that private area of your loins. Yeah, I, I want to put that armor on every day. And so for you young people, high school, college age, whatever, I promise you, you will never regret girding your loins with truth. And then he says, put on the breastplate covering your heart with righteousness. I've got to put this full armor on. I want my heart to be protected. I've got to have truth to gird that sacred area of mine, but I also want to make sure that my heart stays righteous. I've got to put righteousness on every day. Then he talks about putting Peace on your feet. Make sure you get the right shoes on where you go and where, where your life is carrying you. Gird your loins. Protect your heart. Watch where your feet are traveling. Then he says, take the, short, sword of, uh, the shield of faith. Make sure you're grabbing the shield of faith as you're protecting and girding your loins with truth and your heart with righteousness and your feet with peace, make sure you're walking by faith. The enemy's going to come. You've got to be walking by faith. You've got this shield to protect yourself and to war off different things. Then he says, make sure you wear every day the helmet of salvation and deliverance. Cover your mind. Make sure you stay protected. And then he says, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. After you Start to saturate your mind with truth. I would encourage many of you sitting here today, listen to me. Many of you, I would highly encourage you, get up every morning. Read through Ephesians 6, 10 through 17. Spend five minutes in the morning saying, I want to take this to heart. I want to saturate my mind, but I want to put the armor on every day. And throughout the day, as you start to meditate and memorize this, I promise you, it will, it will protect you. It will protect you. But I think Paul lays it out in the order he does for a reason. The more time you spend sharpening and strengthening your sword, the more effective you're going to be when it comes to doing life. So, you've got to ask the question, what permeates my thoughts, what saturates my mind? I would highly encourage you to saturate your mind with the Word of God. If you're lost and you go, I don't even know Jesus, you've got to come to faith in Christ so that you then can start to walk in what God has for you. You will never in your own power as a lost pagan heathen hedonist be able to gird your loins prote uh, properly, protect your heart properly. You'll never be able to walk the right places God wants you to walk on your own strength. You can't do it. You'll eventually cave in, and you'll have your lunch handed to you.
Second thing I would say would be this, choose not to worry. If I'm going to really trust God and lean into God and start to depend on God, I got to choose not to worry. Worry is a choice. Worry is a choice. Worry and trust, they go together like oil and water. They just don't mix. And so when you start to look at it going, what am I worrying about? The enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy. The enemy wants to pick you apart. The enemy is going to give you opportunity daily to worry and stress about something. But God is saying, you don't have to worry. You can pray. Dallas and Sandy talk about laying in bed and as tears are flowing, thinking about their kids and thinking about where their kids are and what's happening. We started praying. Why? Because the scripture says, if you're ever in a fix, turn to Philippians 4, 6. Listen, listen. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind. I choose not to worry by choosing to pray. Prayer is nothing more than worry taken toward God. When you worry, you oftentimes will run to God and tell him how big your problems are. But when you start to pray and saturate your mind with the word of God, you run to your problems and tell him how big your God is. And so when we learn how to pray and start to believe that God is greater and God God is bigger and God is stronger— How do I learn to trust God? I mean, it's it's baby steps, and and then it's really leaning into him. But I'm like, man, I've got to saturate my mind. I've got to put the armor on. I've I've got to get my sword strengthened and sharp every day. I've got to choose not to worry. I've got to choose to pray, and I've got to choose to believe that God's bigger, and I've got to choose to lean in. And the last thing would would be this. It's replacing negative thoughts with God's promises. Because I can tell you right now, so many of us have this stinking, thinking, negative thought process going on. And we're anticipating and expecting all hell to break loose 24-7 for us. But when we start to replace those negative thoughts with the promises of God, when I'm able to stand on promises and stand on principle, it starts to change who I am. I can start to delight myself in the Lord. I can start to trust in the Lord. And Paul would write in 2 Corinthians 10, though we live in the, this world, we don't wage war as the world does. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh and are not carnal. He goes on to say, though we live in this stinking world, In Christ, we have the ability to take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus. I'm going to take this thought captive. Does this honor God, glorify God? Or is this a flesh-driven thing? And I'm able to take thoughts now captive to the obedience of Christ through the Holy Spirit. I'm able to look at those things that are disobedient and say, "Get, get out of here. Because I can replace those lies with truth. I have to run to truth. It starts with putting on the armor. It starts with girding your loins with truth. And I promise you, as they shared their story, I'm like, God's done an amazing thing. Even Dallas said it was so hard to trust when you've been beat up and beat down and you're no good. It's hard to trust people. But God's for you. God's not against you. God wants to give you strength to overcome every day. God wants you to know that 
his dunamis power that resides within inside the surrendered believer is able to accomplish exceedingly abundantly above anything we can ask or think. And when we start to walk in that, watch God work. Watch him work.